Welcome to In the Deep. I'm your host, Catherine Ingram. The following is from a Zoom session broadcast from Australia on May 2nd, 2021. It's called Navigating the Troubles. I invite you to join us for any of the upcoming monthly Zoom sessions, which are held at two different times on the first weekend of each month to accommodate most time zones in the world. Victor Frankl said, when we are no longer able to change a situation, we are challenged to change ourselves. When we are no longer able to change a situation, we are challenged to change ourselves. We have the capacity to respond in different ways. Now, we have all heard this in Dharma circles said, a thousand times in different ways. We've heard it so many times. It's the basis of the serenity prayer to accept the things you cannot change. But I find it very calming to hear it said in every possible way, just to be reminded, right? Just to be reminded, just to hear the Dharma, hear the truth of it. We are confronted with lots of situations in our world, grand and small, gigantic troubles and small annoyances and everything in between. It's life. Big things happen in lives. Gary and I were just on the phone talking about, you know, the day that Vesuvius erupted. Imagine that one, you know, you're, you're a medieval Italian person um, going about your lovely business, maybe doing some art or making a pot or planting a seed or harvesting something. And Vesuvius erupts and in pretty much no time at all, everyone is dead and made into statues of of ash and bone. Things happen, big things happen quickly sometimes. More often though, it's a slow, steady drumbeat of troubles that go on. It's life. Very few lives escaped lots of troubles. It may look like some of them were luckier than others, And that may be well true, but it's it's pretty clear that almost everybody has quite quite a fair share of troubles. Now, the difference between being a good navigator of the troubles and being someone who's actually beaten down by them, that difference is all about how you're playing it, how you're what you're doing with your attention along the way. I feel lucky actually to know so many people who are inspiring in that they live with hard things ongoingly and yet they're light, they're light in their heart. We just had a retreat uh, in Victoria and one of my friends on the retreat told me afterward that she'd woken up on the last day out of a nightmare, 
But she said, I felt totally peaceful, which was kind of this weird dichotomy she experienced. She felt peacefulness, like a ground of peacefulness from having been in the retreat and having habituated in a certain use of her attention. She felt this kind of ground of peacefulness, even though she had a nightmare. And this is what I often mean when I say coexisting awareness. There's a lot of nightmares going on and they're real. A lot of them are real. They're not just nighttime visions. A lot of them are daytime horrors. And that's true. And yet one can have a kind of set point of ease, of acceptance, of not falling into the abyss of whining and, you know, kicking our feet and shaking our fists at the sky and saying that we know better how it all should be, even if we do, but (laughs) we're probably not going to get our way. So this is all by way of saying another simple way is to say, choose peace. Fighting with the things that you can do nothing about, lamenting and complaining and being angry is only going to harm you, is only going to steal away your precious moments of this life. You're free to do it. It's not, I'm not saying there's going to be some punishing God that's going to harm you, but it's just, I said last night, how are you going to spend your moments? How does one wisely spend your allotment? And you don't know how long that's going to be. However long it is, it's, it's very finite. Finite number of heartbeats, finite number of breaths. So I'm quite aware of the general frustration running around, fear, and so on. I'm very aware of all that and honor it and acknowledge it. And I feel I feel some of it as well. But I'm also keenly aware, more than I think I've ever been, of the preciousness of the time and of what the priorities really are. Hi, Catherine. Hello. Hi, dear. You know, your opening remarks reminded me of uh, something I heard this week, which was, if, if something is not worth doing, it's not worth doing well. And it really, that really hit home, you know, with all the topsy-turviness of my journey, you know, that I take so much on that is just, I do whatever I take on as well as I can, but so much of it I shouldn't even be taking on. (laughs) And, you know, I think, especially now, I I do feel like I'm tantruming. You know, I feel like I, 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 I know mindfulness. I know, you know, I know how to get these spaces. I know, I know that there are other aspects to myself, but I really, I, I default, maybe there's just too much and I default to the tantruming and the frustration, the depression and everything else. And, um, 
I mean, that this is what I'm, I'm being hit with. And I just, I feel like I, I thought I was, I, I thought that I'd scaled back and it feels like I've just begun scaling back, <laughs> you know, in terms yeah. of what I can take on. Yeah. So well, you've only just moved. Yeah. And, you know, and, and a move always has a thousand extra balls in the air. So maybe just give yourself a little bit of wiggle room, a little bit of time to have this kind of chaotic phase and then find your rhythm. But having the intention, which it seems you do have, is the first step. You know, you need to be aware that there's something out of balance, Mm -hmm. something that needs to be redressed and give yourself a little time to accomplish that. And then I would say it's going to take some initial discipline to be a caretaker to yourself, right? Mm-hmm. To really, really carve out times for, you know, walks in nature and, you know, sitting in a chair on your yard, staring at the sky, all of that has got to be put into the program. One of my girlfriends runs this big seminar business, of course, right now and then for the last year and a half with COVID, It's not been operating, but she used to fly all over the world all the time. She would be in four countries a week, like do a seminar, fly the next day and do another one the next night. I don't know how she did it, but but she used to sometimes show me her schedule and when we would be trying to find a day to be together and, and her schedule would be blocked out for months on end, but some of the days had big X's through them. And those days were called rest days, which actually could also mean that she might go to the movies or she might do something spontaneous or she'd go on a tour or something. But those days were completely nothing went on them as though they were marked in the schedule, which they were. And so, I mean, if that's a trick that can work for you where you actually have blocked out either a time per day or a day per week. One of my other friends, Big businessman. He, he died in his 80s a few years ago, but he he ran several businesses. He was a busy man. But every Thursday was his silent day for many years, even when he was running all these businesses. Thursday was his silent day. Oh, now he would that. send he would send faxes and things on that day. He would he would communicate as needed, but you couldn't talk to him. He didn't speak on that day. And and it's it's an imposed kind of shutting down and an imposed unplugging. But maybe maybe that's what's needed in your case, you know, because your your tendency is to say yes to things. And when everybody gets used to the fact that you have these carved out times, then they won't be expecting you, you know, they won't take it personally that you're not showing up in those particular times. It's just, it's one of the reasons I talked about it at the recent retreat, actually, about how in another type of world or maybe another time, we wouldn't be in as much need of a silent retreat because life would have been a lot slower. There would have been a lot less to do. People were not plugged in at all. And they had their own rhythms that were more commensurate with natural rhythms so they were able to live in quieter ways especially those people who had an interest in these kinds of things say in in 
ancient China and, and in Asia and in India and places where there was a thriving understanding and honoring of people who were what we would say are dropouts, you know, <laughs> that it was a tradition. It was a tradition in India, in fact, that one, when one had gone through uh, schooling and then householding, you were perfectly free to become a sannyasin and to travel the trains for free and people would give you food. Hmm. Um, yeah, and you could live out the, the end part of your life. That was a, that was a, a, a very honored tradition for a long, long time. I don't know if, if it is now. My point being that in those days and in those cultures, maybe they didn't need to take a full break and go away somewhere where it's going to be completely silent. But in ours, we do. Whether it's in a simple schedule of one's own or in the larger context of kind of running a big scene and having family and kids and business. And so many people now live going from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next, until they go to bed at night. And for those people, they come to a point where they actually feel like they're going to hit a wall and they do hit a wall. And then sometimes they then turn to, you know, pharmaceuticals to get them through. You know, they have to use all kinds of pharmaceuticals to just exist in their lives. So for, I, I think for most modern Western type people, retreats are truly necessary for your mental and physical health. But my suggestion, in addition to that, is to try to mitigate these crazy lives that we tend to live in the West and put in little mini retreats, little simulacrums of retreats throughout your ordinary life and be absolutely confident and bold in, in doing that and saying that's what you're doing. You know, you could say Saturdays, I'm off. I, I, it's my silent day. <laughs> a great idea. It's a great idea. It's a, something that I can do as well. Yes. And also, like I said, when everyone knows that that's the plan, no one gets hurt that they're being shunned. Mm-hmm. You know, so, yeah. Thank you. Catherine, um, I have a question that the balance between what you were just talking about, about the traversing between what's happening in your life on a very local level mm-hmm. and what and connect and, and choosing to stay with that and, and disconnecting from the wider world. And just overnight I've been I've been wrestling with it really. And that is it, but if we all putting my own stuff on the table. If we all disconnect from the bigger world, then then who's who's taking care of the bigger mm-hmm. world if we're not paying attention? And I probably can figure out like it, intellectually it is about getting the balance right so that we've so we can contribute but we don't get overwhelmed and and that flow back and forward. But I would just like like to hear it some mm-hmm. Some views sure. on that, please, would be really helpful. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Well, of course, it's not an either or. And my premise is that the clearer you are as a vessel to help out, the better it goes and the more effective one becomes. 
so that, you know, your job in very great part would be keeping your own calm, your own peacefulness, your own clarity of mind, all of which requires a type of relaxation and a type of using your attention so that you don't become another body on the pile that has to be taken care of, right? You become, you know, like the doctors without borders, you you can sense that those guys, they are coming from a very clear, quiet space inside. Now, at some point, any one of them is, you know, it'd be fair enough for them to hit a wall as well if they've been working 17 hours in triage. But obviously, there's some way in which humans can keep going and do very good work, very beautiful work, because their internal landscape is calm. And so this, this is not a contradiction in terms of a way of life. It's an enhancement to be able to find ways that are just creating much more ease inside of you, much more space, much more of a sense of, well, you get a lot more energy for one thing because your energy isn't being drained by your own internal panic and your resistance, which is incredibly exhausting. So my experience, and because I've also interviewed a lot of people who were running big movements based on Gandhian ideals and were using all of the methodologies of you know, mindfulness or love practice or whatever their particular tradition was to keep themselves on point, aligned, coming from a lot of compassion, coming from very big understandings of how how humans are, how the ecosystem is, and so on, living in systems theories, systems understandings, I should say. And that that has just that was so effective in so many cases when these movements erupted on the stage against massively huge powerful forces who were trying to oppress them and yet in many cases they prevailed not always but many so i would just say to you this understanding and the deepening in it is a way for you to be more effective in your work at the same time there develops a quiet acceptance to how things are going, whether or not they're going the way that you preferred. It's not that the the quiet acceptance deters you from continuing on. It actually allows you to continue on because you're, you're not burned out in disappointment and anger. And I've seen so many people over the years be very burned out. I've known so many activists and they, a lot of them get burned out on anger. They anger just is extremely destructive. It can be initially a great energy source, like to get you going, the kind of righteous anger. We got to change this, but you can't sustain it. It's, it's hard on everything. It's hard on your mind and it, it repels people around you. So These are the reasons for this kind of deepening. It affects every person you interact with. It, first of all, affects you, you know. It makes your life easier. It makes your life more joyful, more tender. 
more compassionate, more generous, more appreciative, etc. And it's also a fragrance that goes out into this troubled, fearful world. This fragrance is very, very welcome and is going to be more so with time, my prediction. So I would say that you don't need any kind of conflict. You won't become a blob, a vegetable that is not helping out. The deeper you go in this, the more elegant your actions will be. Thank you. That That's beautiful, deep, wise. Thank you. Spot on for me. That just sings in my soul. Thank you. Okay, dear. I'm just loving hearing, you know, everyone's perspectives. And um, it was about choosing peace and that I didn't used to believe that a person could do that. And then I believed a person could do that, but I couldn't do it. And then it it just took a long time for me to finally begin this practice of choosing the peace. And, mm-hmm. and it's snowballed since doing that just a year and a half or so ago. It's just snowballed into this transformation. And gratitude has become the primary practice in my life. And the recognition of just choosing that peace and, and resting in that calm. And I wonder if that's like when you talk about the finite heartbeats and breaths, I wonder if that is part of the wisdom of age as well. <laughs> and maybe not everybody gets to that, but it's, if people start thinking about the finitude of breaths, they might change their priorities a little bit. And I think that was part of what happened to me. But of course, part of it was your teachings and other mindfulness practices. And it just... Once I started and really went wholly into it, it just snowballed. So yeah. Yes, it's so true. It becomes a habit and it's a habit that is extremely welcome and it reinforces itself, which is great. And the reason it reinforces itself is you realize, okay, this is the easier way, right? I can either keep banging on a subject that is making me upset in my head that I can do nothing about, or I can choose peace in this very moment and cruise on. And it, it's, it's like the more you do that, the more you tend to do that. And, it, and I'm never, ever, ever talking about reaching some steady state. I don't believe in that. It doesn't need to be a steady state. It just needs to be a mostly. Mostly ease. Mostly letting go of that which goes, Mm -hmm. mostly accepting what one cannot change anyway, and letting that acceptance even go deeper and deeper about all kinds of things. Now, to your point about the age thing, and I think you're right, I think with age does come an increasing awareness, of course, of the limitations of time. And one can always say, I mean, I you know, being being such a long-time Dharma student, starting when I was really in my late teens, but really starting to do serious Buddhist tra- practice when I was 22, you know, we heard a lot about death and keeping death over one's shoulder, and we, you know, we were no strangers to the concept of death. But when you're that young, it's very hard to viscerally sense it. You kind of hear it as a theory, <laughs> but you 
see evidence, <laughs> but but it's very hard to really, you know, really understand it the way you do when you get older. It is true, but I I do feel that all of that intellectual preparation had an effect. Like I, I I've never struggled with the believing in the fact of it that I never I've never. You know, that's just, it's been so obvious for so long that that is what happens, but it is becoming more integrated as a felt sense of just the, how quick it all goes. And, and there's that, that poignant sense of wishing we could impart the knowledge of being, of what comes when we're older to younger people. Of course, people have been trying to do that for millennium, but eventually they'll believe us. <laughs> and in the meantime, though, these practices, these understandings and what you said about gratitude, you know, those will definitely see you through to a much, much happier life. And I think the more people we as we age we see more people die and that brings it home every time more the more we see the suffering of others and the more we see the death of the people that we love as we age it becomes more and more visceral as you said and and I was pondering how do we how do we share this with young people and I just think it's human nature that we can't necessarily and maybe that's better in a sense because you know, we don't want them to be going around uh, with this cloud on their head, you know, if, if that's how it affects them, which it might. So, yeah, I mean, it's all, it's just the evolutionary rollout. But um, I do think, and I have met many younger people who I've sensed had the wisdom of someone much, much older, you know, and who really get that this is, that these, you know, you don't get them back, you know get them back you're spending down <laughs> and um, you know there's no interest accumulating anywhere it's we're spending down the days and it's good to really know that and celebrate them and let your attention be guided by your own your own wisdom and again not every moment uh, you know i my, my my attention indulges all kinds of nonsense every day <laughs> but I'm usually aware at some point, it's like eating junk food or something. I'm usually at some point, it starts to feel, ugh, and I have all my own tricks for moving it around. This past week was my birthday, like that. I said to Gary on the phone, this is getting serious. <laughs> it's like, you know, this is, we're not in middle age, <laughs> right? <laughs> and... I heard from lots of people on Facebook, which I don't usually even look at, but I do look at it around my birthday because old friends are writing, you know, and I I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings by just simply not responding. But one of my friends wrote to me something like, he wrote something like, I can't figure out how to find what you're up to. Meaning he can't find anything on social media that tells him what I'm even doing. And I realized how absolutely averse I feel to engaging in that kind of activity like recording my my special moments or any moments or whatever 
like I definitely cannot be bothered. It's not how I want to spend my time. I don't have any quarrel with those who do. And I see that that people enjoy it and they keep up with each other and their families and their friends and so on. I do wonder about it for the younger people. But anyway, for myself, I couldn't possibly care less about doing anything like that. You know, I'd literally rather be staring at the sky. I'd way rather be staring at the sky, laying on my couch, staring at the sky and the birds. It's all about how you choose to spend your time and and what is it being very tuned into the movements inside oneself in any given activity. And that's another thing that I feel either age or some kind of immersion in this perspective has given me is I have a very clear nervous system tracking going on. When something is feeling a bit toxic, I start noticing it. And even though I might indulge it longer, I, I am aware, you know, just like if I'm eating potato chips, I'm aware, you know, this is going to have to have come to an end at some point soon. <laughs> so... I've been looking out the window a lot <laughs> lately and this whole year, I, I think I have never um, really thought about my aging. <laughs> um, and I've never even thought about um, my mortality very much until this year. Mm. And for a while in the last few months, I started to feel like I'm having a midlife crisis in my seventies, <laughs> like something <laughs> like, like I've always thought I'm 18 years old inside and, yeah. and, and yet this temple isn't keeping up with how I feel inside. I've had, I've had a few injuries and it's really freaked me out because I, I just, I, I have this sense of, well, I have so many years left and I keep, I keep talking about, well, so do we have enough money? for the rest of these, you know, I, I know I'm going to live till a hundred. So I, so then I start to say, well, okay, got 23 years left. Um, <laughs> uh, do we have enough money? Do I um, like, what about all the things that I still want to do? It like, it's been this major wake up call. And I, I just wanted to share that because it's been, I, this whole, it's just this whole year I've, I've, I've been looking inside. I've been looking at all the things I do. I've been really taking stock um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and my whole life. So, you know, in the last few, few times you have talked about this, the eight, you know, I've never seen myself as, as one of those people when I'm in a situation that, that I'm the, I'm the older person, like you had described something a number of months ago of being in this event with all these young people and young children and and you knew you were the elder <laughs> yeah. yeah i but know yeah. it's surprising <laughs> i knew I'm, I knew I'm the elder but i, I can't relate to it yeah. <laughs> the thing is that all all of them do though <laughs> right. i know I, like you know it's like when you go to a doctor now you know and they're younger than you are and i know and um, I even feel a little age discrimination, you know, like when I walk yeah. into a new doctor and then, you know, well, what medications are you taking? 
you know? <laughs> and, and I said, well, I'm not taking any, I'm taking some vitamins, you know, uh-huh. taking a few things. And, and, that, and there's this, I feel like I have to like, uh, wait a minute, look at me. I'm not, I'm not what, what you think I'm supposed to be at this age, you know? Right. Yes. So, yes. Yeah. So all these things that I, that I never really paid much attention to and, and just my physical moving around. And um, mm-hmm. I've always been so agile and, you know, just really strange. It's very strange. Well, I, I, I certainly hear you about taking stock and whether it's, partly the lockdown, the containment that we've all been in, or the aging, or the deepening in your life, deepening into quiet more, that does produce taking stock. It does. It's also known as insight, that insight arises in that fertile ground. And certain obvious truths come floating up like those eight balls that you shake and, and the truth just kind of floats up and and yes you are the elder there it is just as I am too I, I'm surprised that I'm the oldest person in the room in many of the rooms I'm in now and by the way we're the lucky ones yeah we're so lucky I know I, that that grateful when you just the first thing you said feeling grateful that's been so um major for me you know yeah just just so there is a there is a shift in the frame of it which is that you've got to be 77 yeah which hardly anyone in previous history got to be almost no one a few a handful not statistically significant most everybody died well before and to be your age and healthy and having fun with your husband and <laughs> your wonderful son and all that is beautiful in your life. Wow. It's, it's a complete different frame on it. Always looking out. And I especially do this with my art, you know, my painting. Like I'm always looking out at like what other people are doing. And it's like, it's, it's, mm. I have to constantly come back inside, come back inside. Yes, 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 absolutely. Just like what I was saying about what my own relationship to social media and all I find most of it when I'm looking at it, whenever that those occasions happen to be or someone's showing me something, I notice internally, I don't like the feeling. I don't like what I'm looking at. I don't like that uh, curation of information. And so, you know, to really pay attention to that. I once heard many, many years ago, Eckhart Tolle at a talk in, in Dublin, um, he was talking about, and this is so long ago that it sort of, it didn't predate our internet use, but it was way in the earlier days of it. And he was saying how when people look at magazines of the of the beautiful people and the glamorous people and the movie stars, and you see their fabulous lives and he says, first of all, and then and then you're sitting there feeling miserable about your life. As you're looking at all these pictures, you're sitting there thinking, those that's the real lives. My life is horrible compared to that. And he said he said, Well, first of all, a lot of what you're looking at actually isn't even true. It's the 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 people are airbrushed, they're beautiful, happy smiles at the award ceremony you know, belie the fact that they're about to have a divorce, you know, next month <laughs> and, and anyway. But then he said, and also 
you don't have to be looking at the magazine. Like you don't have to ever look at a magazine like that. <laughs> and it was such a kind of simple, beautiful human understanding. Like, why are you ingesting things that are upsetting you? Yeah or are making you feel less than, or are in some way just not a pleasant thing to be doing. So this is another thing I think, not only deepening, wisening, and simple logic would tell us, as we become more authentic, yeah, you know, we have a real good barometer on what is upsetting, what is some things that are upsetting we can't do anything about, and we're going to have to be upset. We have plenty of that in our lives that are real, you know, plenty of those things that are absolutely real. You know, when I look through my contact list, so many of my friends have died. It's, it's just staggering how many have you know how many really close friends whole huge swaths of my life that were shared with that person that nobody else is ever going to understand or hear about even and all of that leaves me with this incredible tenderness about you know really giving myself permission to love the people I love and to celebrate them and reserve my energy for them, not spend it all over the world and all over the internet, um, you know, to really be able to be present for those people and ratchet this whole thing down to a simpler, livable way of being. Mm. Yeah. Thank you. You're welcome, Mary. I can add something, Catherine. Such a great conversation. I just wanted to add because I, I do kind of represent someone in their 40s. I have never felt, I have I have never felt that I will live to a certain age. And when I was expecting my first child, I never felt I was going to meet her. Mm-hmm. I just couldn't believe it. I just, it was a miracle. It was a miracle every day. It was, you know, we'll have to see. And I and I remember, you know, that was why it was such, it was an impact for everyone. It was just this total disbelief. I did not take it for granted one day. And I don't do that about my life. And I always think, you know, I, I don't see myself as a grandmother and it's, it's just, I don't know. It's just, I would, no one taught me that. And so I think, I think that you can, I think it's a way of thinking, you know, why, why would I assume that I'm going to have an X number of years just because some people have, but many, many people haven't. And so it's literally like every week could be that this could be it. And I, mm-hmm. I go to that place a lot. And so I don't know, it is, but I know what I, I have no memory of anyone ever teaching me that. I hope it wasn't me who told you that. <laughs> no, I know. <laughs> you definitely influenced me but <laughs> a lot. <laughs> but everything you said is so, it's actually logical. You know, it's very logical and true. There's no knowing, absolutely no knowing. I feel similarly. I, I When I make plans, especially if they're a little ways out, I do so with the kind of who knows. And that's really okay. It's, it's as long as one is not 
paralyzed by all of that and is not just kind of shaking in bed and shivering with fear. It's not that. It's just living more in the mysteriousness of this existence whereby anything can happen at any minute. Most of the moments have been perfectly okay, but we just don't know on the next one. It's that thing of like, if you flip a coin and you get heads a thousand times, the chances of getting tails on the next flip is the exact same as all the previous. You just don't know. Yeah. I'm back from LA. I'm back in, uh, in outside okay. of Cleveland. Okay. Right. <laughs> How are things? Oh, they're, uh, they're very good. That, that was a fascinating trip as a matter of fact. Ah. I mean, it was interesting to be interesting to be back. It was, it was interesting to really not feel a very strong connection to anything. You know, it was like a familiarity. It's kind of like walking in somebody else's skin. Like, uh, you're like like somebody implanted all these memories of this place. You know what I mean? Yeah. I guess yeah. that sort of, I, I kind of left it completely enough mentally that I was like, well, uh, uh, yeah, I, I, rec I recognize all this, but there wasn't like a, a draw. It, it, in fact, it was really interesting. You know, when I was living in LA, everything felt fine. I really liked it. You know, yeah, and I, I yeah. still do. It's a, it's, a, it's a neat place. But I didn't notice moving out to Cleveland. I mean, things are a lot slower. It was, I, I've, I've felt that. But going now, several months out, going back to L.A., yeah. man, I could just feel, I mean, viscerally feel walking around the place like, oh, my God, the, the, the pace, the, I don't know, the, the electricity, that the, there's sort of like a, a, like a vibratory rate there that it, that it was faster and stronger. And of course, there's, I, I, there's more traffic, there's more people, there's more mm -hmm. everything going on. But, but I, I, I was keenly aware, I like, oh my God, I was mm -hmm. here for, you know, 18 years and did not notice the yeah. water boiling, you know? Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, I understand exactly what you mean, because when I used to come and go from when I was living in Los Angeles, and especially when I used to come here and go back there, one of the primary signals to my nervous system that I found challenging was the feeling that the, the infrastructure, like the support of the infrastructure had to be coming from so far away, including the water, like just the sense that this massive huge city of millions sprawling out on a desert. Like the, the suck of resources required to keep that thing going. I, was, I started to become uncomfortably aware of that. So it would be a background feeling in my system of how unsustainable it is and how mm -hmm. well, out of balance it is. Right. Now, that, that said... Uh, you know, people do live there and thrive there and love it. And I did have a great time when I lived in Los Angeles. I did. Mm -hmm. But that was a part of my awareness and, and became more and more intolerable in a sense to me. Right. Um, yeah. I think I, I, I feel like this goes back a bit too, to, you know, all the time I've spent in retreat with you. You spent more time on retreat, but I've, I've spent 
a good amount of time. And just the, just the sort of the visceral feel, you know, the feel of a place, the, uh, it's, it's a, like a bodily feeling. And maybe that's just a lot of different inputs coming in and the, and the body's just treating it as a gestalt. And you're not really parsing all the individual, like, well, I, I, I know this, this thought, this thought, this thought, but I really, it was as though my body was vibrating faster because I was in LA and, and, and it, it just takes more energy. And, and there's a, you kind of have to fight tension. You have to, you have to, you have to be on top of tension, right? Just going to keep kind of, kind of raise your shoulders and come up. Yeah, no, it's, really... I think it's equivalent to having sort of a constant noise and then suddenly you experience no noise, but then you go back to the noise yeah. and and now you notice it for what it is and you notice the actual cost of, of what you're paying for it. Yeah. So, yeah. I, exactly. I, yeah, and, I, and this is, again, to the point I made before about coming to a, a sensitivity to our own nervous systems, to our own rhythm that is you know, that is a human rhythm. And the more you slow down, as we know from all the retreats we've done, you quickly adjust, very quickly adjust to the natural rhythm. And you start noticing all kinds of things. And as I said earlier, it's a, it's a ground of insight. You know, unplug from that sometimes just to not go nuts. And also, what I was saying about how people used to live in a slower way. Well, you've actually chosen yeah. now a life whereby your general life is slow enough. Right. right? Your general, you know, and you're looking at a lot of green and you're experiencing seasons and the growth cycles of farms and all those things. All of that is signaling health in to you and as an mm-hmm. experience. I sometimes... Yeah pondered about like when we see let's say we see a beautiful green landscape and sometimes I'll say to myself why do we always say things like that are beautiful why why do we value it as beautiful as opposed to say you know a dead mall (laughs) 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 you know Um, why why is one so much more beautiful and I think that it actually comes down to genetics because one one yep. is one of those images is signaling abundance, like you can survive there. You know, it's right. signaling it's signaling well-being. It's signaling food and water. That it, and so we're very sensitive creatures, and we've overridden a lot of this sensitivity. Actually, we've overridden it. We've ignored. We've just put it aside. And, you know, some people can handle that just fine. They, they thrive, you know, and I get that. I do. I, I know a lot of what we might call culture vultures, you know, who just <laughs> love, you know, living in the mm-hmm. urban centers and who, and who have right. a grand home. So, you know, to each his own. Yeah. I haven't said anything for quite a few meetings But belief is something I've been thinking about quite a lot for the last year or two as a phenomenon, Mm. as a human phenomenon. Mm. And I think there's a lot of consideration to be made in 
what belief is. I mean, I look at my life and ask what it is in the end, do I believe? And I also am interested in how it's a human behavior, like a lot of other behaviors. It's a kind of human behavior, belief. And I try to imagine where belief started for us as a species. And I can't help but think it's one of the things that maybe is a downside of language, mm. a need to communicate something which is not immediately apparent. Mm-hmm. So, I, I've looked into this too, and I studied the work of Sheldon Solomon, who I have a podcast with him, and I don't know if you've heard mm-hmm. that, it's one of the podcasts, and he was very, very interested in this very question. Um, and I mean, of course, in early man, beliefs formed to calm them down, a lot of the beliefs had to do with afterlife. Because life was short and precarious, yeah. and everybody was, you know, scared out of the wits, <laughs> and um, exactly. so they would tell. They would tell. Yeah, fear drives a lot of the beliefs. Yes, yeah. and so myths and stories that eventually became yes. religions. Only a few of them kind yeah. of hung in, but there was thousands, since probably yeah. there was still maybe of uh, stories of afterlife. Uh, so those would be the original yeah. ones, probably. Yeah. Uh, given uh, the fossil record and the cave drawings and all of that, it seems that that was a popular um, thing. But I think this also leads into um, what stories one tells to give one's life meaning. And so sometimes people tell all kinds of stories, beliefs, mm. to give themselves, to give life meaning, to give them their own life a meaning. And that is something that's very hard to take away from people as we see. They will fight to the death to preserve... Yes their belief, their myth, their meaning of why why this all makes sense. But for others of us who have to live in the mystery of it all, we don't have that comfort. And also, you know, I'd rather, I find find false truth, which isn't truth, of course, but it's a false comfort. It's not a comfort to me. So... Yeah. Have a listen to that particular podcast, okay. Sheldon Solomon. It's one of my favorite interviews I've ever done in all the yes. years. Yeah. Yeah. But to, c- to continue on that, to bring it into a kind of contemporary yeah. context, like I've been affected by conspiracy theories in my family. So I've, in my family, we've been talking a lot about conspiracy theories because they can bring about really strange behavior in people once once somebody has the belief in a conspiracy theory and there's certainly well, I, think, I think we won't get into this if you don't mind okay. um because what is a conspiracy theory to one might be exactly to be the obvious i was just, I was just going to talk about it in a general sort of way <laughs> they're related to what we've already said if you look at the history of beliefs as far as we can, yeah. you said that they began in belief and also search for meaning. Yeah. What is central to them is fear, in a yeah. way. 
And I think that seems to me to be what is also underneath, as it was coming up in the previous discussion, what's underneath a lot of you know, beliefs and especially conspiracy theories. Mm-hmm. And very often it's not, it's a very personal fear. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's exactly the inability to be in the sort of place that you've been talking a lot about, of, of acceptance and peace yeah. in all of that. Yeah, yeah, yes. of course. Yeah. I see all of that going together in a way. Sure, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Look, my my sense just to try to scramble to join you with yeah. the um, yeah. with the direction of the conversation. This idea of beliefs, and Catherine, as you know, we have some very diverse beliefs in the area that that we live in, on the north coast of New South Wales in Australia, and and some of those, of course, can be very very troubling. And I wonder if some somehow we've looked at maybe, and I don't want to misinterpret things, but maybe there's a, a there's a downside to these diversity of beliefs. But perhaps the reason why people are clinging on to things that might seem a bit a bit bonkers to some of us and obviously not not to them it might be a sense of trying to find belonging and identity where people are a little bit adrift and they want to be part of a part of a, a group and indeed that's what's the fellow's name homo sapiens and uh, homo deus um, uh, Yuval uh, yeah yeah there yeah he talks about the fact that beliefs are a way of us coming together and yeah. being part of a of something something bigger and perhaps yeah. that's what people are maybe I'm just stating the obvious but I'm trying to sort of understand why people would be taking on such extreme what seems to us I should continue to clarify extreme positions and it's perhaps just trying to belong to find something that's that's you know a group to be to be part of and to identify with and that's an important part of people's well-being as well. So this is where beliefs, again, stating stating the obvious, but trying to understand why why people would take on such such challenging positions to to us. I'm trying to cut them some slack as well, like understand what yeah. what they're what they're grasping at too. Yeah. And truth may be almost secondary to that. It's perhaps not a search for truth. It's a search for for belonging. Yeah, yeah. I think I think certainly a lot of, of group think in general is is feeling part of a club. I've also lived long enough to know that you know one one generation's conspiracy theory turns out to be the truth later. So I have a very open mind about what's going on with all of that. And you know, who knows? I think it's good to watch for a while. I think the data is not in. And so I, I definitely think it's it's wise to not assume that they're just clustered together out of a sense of needing a community that maybe maybe their beliefs have merit. And I, I it's just where we're, we're beholden to keep open yeah. minds. Absolutely, also, yeah. That, that I mean, I, I, li- I lived in a time growing up in the fifties where our doctors would get on television smoking. <laughs> and say that smoking was good for you. Literally, mm. that it was actually good for your health. 
So, you know, I, I think it's just wise to kind of say, hmm, who knows? We'll see what happens. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> I heard Brian Eno say once on a podcast, it was one of the pithiest little sayings I've ever heard. Truth is consensus. Yes. Which I thought was very wise truth is consensus and yeah. uh, you know we, we just kind of sometimes decide what's yeah. what's yeah. true yeah i mean the herd mentality is incredibly powerful and especially when it's being drummed from all major media mm. so um <laughs> you know so i think i think having a kind of very open you know, curious mind in, in this and doing a lot of research is, is in order. Um, yeah, in my opinion. Yeah, um, yeah. indeed. Yeah. <laughs> Catherine, thank you for being a hub for all of this, this sharing. And, uh, mm -hmm. and I, and I understand the emphasis on the word dialogue. So I'm very grateful for that. Yes, 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 yes. It is definitely a, a shared experience. And I learn a lot each time as well. I always feel that really we're on a frequency together and that little, little sparks are coming off the frequency. I will add my little spark. I, I will Excellent. try anyway. Excellent. <laughs> this has been In the Deep. You can find the entire list of In The Deep podcasts at katherineingram.com, where you can also book a private phone session and view upcoming events such as our monthly Zoom sessions. We would really appreciate your support of these podcasts. In addition to the many hours I spend on editing and production, we also pay for a sound engineer, monthly charges for podcast web hosting, and subscriptions for podcast editing and music royalties. So if you're a regular listener, please consider making either a one-time or a recurring donation. Of course, you're welcome to listen in whether you can afford to donate or not. And if you're enjoying the podcasts, we would be grateful for a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. Till next time.